You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Coming What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out at Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. I'm joined alongside tonight for a brief moment here, our Packers insider, uh, Mr. Paul Brettel. Of course, you guys know him uh, on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. He also writes at Packers Wire and Dairyland Express. Paul, how you doing today, bub? I'm doing excellent. I always look forward to these chats, Clayton. I'm talking yeah, Packers football with you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, let's kind of kick it off with a, a new signing that the Packers made. And I know some people are more excited than others, but I wanted to kind of get your take on it. And actually, Jacob, one of my co-hosts, brought it up and was like, hey, man, see if Paul has any info on this uh, this Christian Young, the uh, safety linebacker you know, type hybrid. Uh, it's my understanding he was an undrafted free agent and the Packers picked him up and added him to the practice squad. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. So he went undrafted this past spring, spent the summer and preseason with the Seattle Seahawks out of Arizona. He's out of Arizona. Um, a very experienced player, over 2,200 career snaps during his five-year college career. And the thing that pops out about him is his versatility. He played all over that Wildcat defense, and I mean all over. And not just like a few snaps here and there. Like he had, I think it was about 160 snaps on the boundary, played in the box, played in the slot. Uh, he's 6'1", 220. His overall relative athletic score didn't leap off the page, but he ran a 4.640, which he was a safety at Arizona, but 4.640 for a linebacker. I mean, that that's cruising at a pretty good clip. So he's got some speed to him. Uh, obviously been added to the practice squad. You know, like any you, or most, I should say, undrafted rookies, guys on the practice squad, special teams are going to be what keeps him around. Uh, given the the Packers linebacker depth that they have on the 53-man roster. They currently have five with the addition of Christian Welch, and Welch has over 900 career or close to 900 career special team snaps in the NFL. So, again, this is to add depth to the practice squad. With Welch on the 53, the Packers did not have a linebacker on the practice squad. So especially think about, you know, these practice squad group for the, the scouts teams scout team stuff that they go through through practice, the reps that they need, you know, they want to try to cover as many of their position bases as possible. So Young's going to provide that. And uh, when I, when the news came out that they signed him and I did a quick write up, one thing that I added that I'll touch on here is versatility is great. You know, as they say, the more you can do, but for a young player, especially one in the midst of a position change. Again, he was a safety in college. He's switching to linebacker. He's got box snaps under his belt, but he's a full-time linebacker now. Versatility is great, but as a young player, you got to become good at one thing first. You got to be functional in one area where the team knows that, you know, even if it's in practice as the practice squad guy, that they can rely on you on and utilize you in. From there, that versatility can then be maximized by the add more to your plate, the add more to your plate. But Look at like Tariq Carpenter. You know, I think he's a, a good example of this. Super versatile, played safety, played linebacker. They even he even mentioned last season there were some practice reps at edge rusher. Like that versatility is great. But at the end of the day, if you can't find that one thing that, that you can do well or consistently, I should say, you know, it it becomes a lot harder to uh, stick around. Yeah. And I feel like we saw an example of that with Tariq Carpenter. And again, I'm not comparing, you know, saying that Christian Young is going to have that same outcome. But when we're talking about versatility, I think that's something that's important to remember because it is exciting to see. It is exciting to have that element. But for a young player, they got to find what they're good at first, uh, become reliable in it, and then the team will give you more of those responsibilities. 
Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like what Kyle Shanahan said on the play callers. He said, you may not be able to do everything, but you better be able to do something, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least one thing. So good stuff, man. Yeah, it was it was intriguing, you know, that signing. And, um, and you know, immediately we'll just kind of get into the questions that we were going to chat about here. And, and it kind of it's, – it's somewhat thought-provoking when you think about, okay, they signed a safety linebacker, you know, hybrid. Immediately, my mind goes, "Okay, who are they? Who are they looking to elevate?" Which, by the way, last week with Welch, you knocked it out of the park. You predicted that one, right, with the special team snaps and everything. They called him up, and uh, you know, one of the, you know of the players that that didn't practice yesterday, quote unquote, practice yesterday, right? Because Bill Huber did an excellent job getting that information mm -hmm. out to us and kind of this little mock injury report, if you will. Uh, but of the players that didn't practice, <clears throat> obviously, you had Zane Anderson with the hamstring. Devondre Campbell with the ankle, uh, right guard John Runyon with the ankle, and then, of course, Rudy Ford, which it was unknown, right? And I got a two-part question for you here. First of all, who, if any of those, do you think could could actually play Monday night? Do you think any of them, you think, okay, there's a chance they may play Monday night? And also, do we have any idea what was up with Rudy Ford? Was it maybe just personal reasons, illness, anything come to mind there? No, uh, I got nothing on Rudy Ford. I'm not sure what that reasoning was as far as who might be able to play. You know, from that group, I'd be watching John Runyon uh, Friday after the Lions game when we were in the locker room. He was in a walking boot. I know uh, ESPN's Rob Demosky spoke to him, and you know, he said it wasn't a high ankle sprain, which is obviously a good thing. Those are the ones that'll keep a player out longer. So uh, I think Runyon said that his hope is to be available on Monday. So, you know, just – looking at what we know at this time um you know i would i would guess that you know of the group he might be the most likely to play devondre campbell he's got the ankle injury it's been you know that happened in the saints game so here we are on wednesday so that's been about 10 days i mean it's always tough to know with those yeah. and the fact that the packers do have the bye week their actual bye week coming up after this game i do wonder if they'll just give him that additional time so if i had to guess I would say Runyon might be the most likely, again, just based on that little bit of information about what we know with his ankle injury um, at, at this time. But Thursday, we'll get our first look. You know, everything's delayed at this time. So usually Wednesday, we got the initial injury report. Thursday's going to be the first one out. So hopefully they're on the field, but we'll get an idea of what sort of capacity, if they are participating, what capacity that is. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, I think the last I checked, the Packers were five and a half point favorites over the Raiders um, that may have changed. I haven't looked at the line lately, um, but with that being said, um, probably be a good time to rest them. Right. And try to get into that bye week. Like you were saying, um, not that any game is a guaranteed win. We gosh, we've been down that road. We've been there, got the t-shirt, right. But uh, <laughs> um, of the players who did practice yesterday after not playing or dropping out on Thursday, you know, you had cornerback Eric Stokes with the foot injury that obviously I think they've got this this window of time for him to practice that's now been activated. Um, you've got cornerback Jair Alexander with the back injury, uh, left guard Elton Jenkins, which was to me was kind of a pleasant surprise. It sounded like he practiced to somewhat some capacity. And then, of course, tied in Luke Musgrave and concussion protocol, which it sounds like he was somewhat active, which is kind of trending in the same direction, in my opinion. I could be wrong. You correct me if I'm wrong, but in the same direction as – as Quay Walker was that week that he practiced and then came right out of concussion protocol. Um, who do you think out of those players, again, uh, Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander, Elton Jenkins, Luke Musgrave, um, and, uh, you know, that that might not be active on Monday night? Or do you kind of anticipate, I think those guys will probably be a go. What do you think? I, I don't expect to see Eric Stokes out there, I think, because they have a three-week window to, to fully activate him. So when a player comes off IR, comes off pup, you know, they have three weeks to be added to the 53-man roster. If the team gets on the other side of that three weeks and the player isn't added, they revert back to IR, but it's season-ending IR. Their season's over. So, got it. Um, again, not that don't expect that to happen with Eric Stokes, but just know that they got a three-week window right now. And in the past, we've seen the Packers with other injuries to players, you know, utilize a decent portion of that. Um, so I don't expect to see him out there. I think to a degree there has to be a bit of a ramp-up period for him. Um, in terms of just getting back into the it, back into the swing of things from a practice perspective and all that. So I don't expect to see Stokes out there. Um, Jenkins, obviously a good sign that he's was available. Um, again, as you'd expect when we were talking to him yesterday or on Tuesday, he was, you know, noncommittal. He says he just has to see how the week is going to go. But the fact that it's, you know, that it's in consideration again is a good sign. And then, yeah, like you said about Musgrave, you know, it's, 
everyone's different when it comes to concussions and the time frame and all that stuff. But as you, as you mentioned, when Walker um, was in concussion protocol, he did practice. I think it was the last two days of that week before coming out of protocol and being available uh, for that game. So definitely something to keep our eyes on with Musgrave. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that I find myself kind of getting a little bit hyped up. Like, Hey, look, we look like we're going to get pretty healthy for this game. And then of course it'll be game day and everyone will be inactive. (laughs) I'll be sitting there like, yeah, of course they were, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we can get a few of those guys back for sure. I think it's a good sign because with the back injury, typically there's no easing back into that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's either you're you're good to go or you're not right with the way the back uh, acts up so easily with Jair there. So excited to see who gets to play. Now, when we're talking about the Raiders game coming up, Paul, um, what are the Packers keys on offense? Do you think going up against the Raiders there on the road in Vegas, which I think everyone would agree. It's not necessarily a a great home field advantage out in Vegas. It seems like it's a reason for other fans to travel to Las Vegas, right. To see their team play. And, uh, and obviously, uh, run the table a little bit too, but what do you think the Packers uh, keys on offense are going into Vegas? There's one key. Do not, let, do not let Max Crosby absolutely dominate this game. Like that's it. This, yeah. this Raiders team, they got Devonte Adams. They got Max Crosby. That's about it. Like do not let Max Crosby dominate this game. He leads the, he's tied for first among edge rushers in uh, total pressures this season, 10th in pass rush win rate. He's getting to the quarterback about once every four snaps uh, so far this season. So, you know, he has that game wrecking ability that, you know, like Aiden Hutchinson does, as, as we saw in the Detroit Lions game. Although, you know, everyone against uh, on that Detroit front has seemed to have game wrecking ability that week. But slowing Max Crosby, you're not going to stop him. You just cannot let him take over the game. So, you know, uh, whether it's the quick passing game, running away from, you know, on running plays, running away from his side of the field, they just cannot let him take over because this is a, Raiders defense that's, you know, given up a lot of points. They've struggled in the red zone. They've struggled on third down. They're giving up. I got a number here. They're giving up points on 45% of their drives this season. They're giving up a oh, touchdown or a field yeah. goal. So nearly half of it, their opponent's possessions are resulting in points. Uh, they're 24th in points per game allowed. They're one of the worst in takeaways this season. Like this is a good opportunity for a young Packers offense to get back on track. And I'm going to go on a slight tangent here. Let's hear it. And, and reference an article uh, that I wrote for Packers Wire. Because the Packers, they found them the fourth quarter of the Falcons game, large portion of the Saints, large portion of the Lions game, they found themselves in a vicious cycle. And a lot of it, all of it, goes back to the offensive line play, specifically the run. And I know it's easy for us to say, run the ball more, run the ball more. But football is such a... A, a nuanced sport. And I know we all want, you know, that, that one answer to whatever the question is, but that's so rarely the case in football. So for one, as we all know, the Packers are really, really struggling to run the ball. They rank 29th in the NFL in yards per rush this season with 3.3. Matt LaFleur talked about it after the Lions game. Detroit specifically, they loaded the box against Green Bay. And that's something that we've seen a lot of defenses do. They're playing a lot of cover one. They're basically daring the young offense to throw the ball. So you can't run the ball. The opponent's dictating, you know, telling you to throw the ball. And Matt LaFleur said as well, you know, they have a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, run pass can plays, you know, where it's up to Jordan Love at the line of scrimmage based on what the defense is showing him. Is it a runner or a pass? And he, he's making the right decisions based on what the defense is doing. And Matt LaFleur said he wants to play the probabilities. So if it's man coverage on the outside, you know, he wants to take advantage of that versus running into a loaded box again mm-hmm. when you can't run the ball. So there's that element of it in terms of what's the defense dictating, what are you struggling with that's impacting them on early downs. The issue, however, is that this offense, from a passing game perspective, they're just nowhere near consistent enough to be able to shoulder that burden of, all right, we got to do we got to do the heavy lifting to get us down the field. You know, Love's been, uh, I think, by really all of our standards so far, he's been terrific, but he's still inaccurate. Um, the the receivers and pass catchers drop balls, struggling with contested catches. And from a route running standpoint, like the details of it, like where you're supposed to be, 
at a specific time. Like there's a lot of miscues in that area. So just that's leading to the overall inconsistency in the passing game. So those are the key elements that you have struggling to run the ball defenses, daring you to throw it, but you don't necessarily have the consistency to throw it effectively as often as you need to. So we're struggling on early downs. Now we're in second and longs, third and longs. Love is completing 46% of his second down passes this season. They're in predictable passing situations. Defensive fronts are pinning their ears back. The defense is in favorable matchups. It's tough to move the ball. It's resulting in three and outs, short drives, punting it away. Packers defense takes over. As we all know, they're struggling with the run game, uh, struggling to get stops. And if we look at this, the uh, Falcons game and the Lions game specifically, those two teams had 200 rushing yards on Green Bay. The average play difference between the Packers and each of those opponents was 25. So the Falcons and Lions ran on average 25 more plays than the Packers. They held the ball for almost 15 minutes longer than the Packers in those games. It's hard to win those games when the discrepancy in those categories is that big. Yeah. So everything I just mentioned on offense, your defense isn't getting off the field. They're giving up points. The offense gets the ball back and just repeat everything I talked about, except now add in that they're down seven points, down 14 points, which then hurts your ability to lean on the run game more. Yeah. You know, Matt LaFleur said reference in that Lions game, like things got out of hand so quickly it was 24 to three and the Packers ran 11 plays on offense, right? Like, how, it's hard to get the run game going when you only have 11 plays. And for a LeFleur offense that, you know, builds off of itself, we all know the, the passing game builds off the running game, but concepts that he's showing the defense in quarter two, he's going to show them again in quarter three and four, but the, 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 how the, the play unfolds is going to be different, again, to catch the defense off balance, to give them something that, oh, I think I know it's coming, and then the Packers do something completely different. You can't do that if you're going three and out, three and out, three and out. So, end rant, uh, that's just the tangent I want to go, wanted to go down because it, yeah. it's such a, a vicious cycle that we're in, as, as we've seen. And a lot of it getting fixed, yes, do they have to – you know, you can't become one dimensional. You know, if the right. defense is forcing you to throw, you still got to run because you can still, you know, generate play action. If the defense thinks you're going to run in a certain situation, you have to get your playmakers the ball. Aaron Jones, Christian Watson, and Matt LaFleur talked about that. They got to do a better job of, even if it's manufactured, even if you got to scheme something up just to get Jones the ball in space yeah. and let him do what he does. Like they have to be better about that. There's absolutely things that they can do from a game plan, from a coaching standpoint, to be proactive, to try to help this along. But also, the players just got to execute better. Yeah. Like the receivers, the tight ends, they got to be where they need to be in the routes. Jordan Love has to deliver more accurate passes consistently. The run blocking has to get better. A.J. Dillon is a ball carrier. You know, <clears throat> Vision, balance, all of that has to improve. It's on everyone. But I just wanted to go down that path because, again, it's been such a key part of these last few games. And I, it, it obviously goes beyond just, well, get Aaron Jones the ball. We'll run right. the ball more. Because there's just a snowball effect of what's the defense doing? How are the Packers responding? How many plays have they ran? What's the score? Just so many other factors that go into all of those decisions and outcomes that we're seeing. Yeah, no doubt. Very well said. Very well said. On the defensive side of the ball, um, what are the Packers' keys on defense going up against the Raiders' offense? And the last I heard, you know, it, it was sounding like, at least from the point spread, that Jimmy Garoppolo probably not going to be playing in this game. Do you do you feel like that's the case? And uh, and if so, or if not, what do you think the Packers' keys on defense are in Vegas? I mean, similar to the Max Crosby side, you know, on the other side, it's to try to contain Devontae Adams. But, you know, it's it's the run game. It's now or never for this group. They've had the mini buy. We know everything's under a microscope. Matt LaFleur's talked about it. They can't be so rigid, hanging in that shell coverage that Joe Barry loves. And, you know, Matt LaFleur brought Joe Barry here to run that. Right. But again, says you can't be so rigid that you only stick with it. Um, LaFleur mentioned changing the philosophy again, going back to that shell coverage and not being so rigid with it. So we know that there's these active conversations about it. You know, Barry said he's gone back and rewatched uh, 
every run defense snap this season multiple times over the weekend when you know the the players had off. Um, we know that they're really evaluating it. So if you are taking that approach, one, are we going to actually see those changes and see them take place consistently? You've had additional time to prepare, and you're going up against statistically the worst rushing offense in football. Sounds like a trap, Paul. It sounds like a trap. <laughs> Yards per carry, DVOA, like you add all that together. And if this unit still cannot stop the run, like I said, it's now or never. They're either, they're either going to or I don't know when it's going to happen. I guess never, you know, based on based on the now or never. But so for me, that's the biggest thing that I'm watching. I mean, yes, limit Devontae Adams. You got to do that. He's playing so, so good right now. He's playing excellent football can absolutely take over the game, but more than anything, do they do something different from a run defense standpoint? Are they better at stopping the run? You know, Joe Barry can dial up, you know, put them in the right situations, but we got to see tackles made. We got to see guys getting off blocks. Like that did not happen in the Lions game. Basically when a Green Bay Packer defender was engaged against Detroit, he was out of the play. Like they, they got to be better setting the edge. You know, yeah. it's on the players too. It's, it's everybody, the coaching staff, the players. So that's what I'm going to be watching the most just because it's right for them. Like this is, this is that, uh, like this is their bounce back performance. Like you truly probably couldn't draw it up in terms of who you wanted to play, you know, having additional time to get ready for it. Uh, you probably couldn't draw it up much better than this for this unit to go out and, hopefully perform well in that capacity. So that's what I'll be watching. And I think where Joe Barry could really be tested again, they got Devonte Adams. It could yeah. be real easy just to say, we're going to sit in our quarters coverage. We're going to take away the big play, keep everything underneath and just not let the big play happen. But we know that's what the Packers like to do. That's when they get ripped apart in the run game. So there's going to be a real battle as well between, all right, maybe here's what we should be doing versus here's what we'd like to do. So again, just really curious to see how that unfolds as the game takes place. Yeah. And as it starts to unfold, how quick are we willing to adjust the game plan if things aren't going as planned, right? That's that's the mm-hmm. other thing too. Uh yeah, when people are asking me who's the blame, who's the blame, my answer, Paul, is take take your pick. Like mm-hmm. I turn on the tape and I seen safety rotation. I seen them loading the box at times. I seen a four man front. I seen these adjustments. But then when they made the adjustments, you had guys missing tackles. And then there was other times like in that goal line situation where they got caught in the nickel, you know, which obviously they're in 11 personnel. But coming right back onto the field, the defense, you've got to know, okay, we're inside the 10 here. Probably mm-hmm. need to go with a heavier set. It's just everything's a, a bit of a mess. But at the same time, it, it would be so easy for this team to be three and one. That's what's crazy. Like with mm-hmm. everything that's gone wrong, they could still be three and one in a blink, which is wild. But Paul, we can't thank you enough, buddy. You're awesome. I know you're uh, taking time away from the, the Brewers game here. So it looks <laughs> like uh, they're actually leading two to nothing right now. So good oh, news. All right. Right? Yeah, so <laughs> we'll let you get back to that. Paul, you're the best, man. Thank you so much, guys. Follow him at Paul underscore Brettle. Again, check his riding out at Packers Wire and Dairyland Express. He's our uh, Packers insider. Paul, thank you so much, bud. Appreciate it, Clayton. Take care. Have a good night. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, now we bring in Jacob from the Packernet Fantasy Podcast. After Paul came in here and sprinkled a little knowledge on us. Jacob, how you doing, Bubba? Doing great. It's always good to hear from Paul. He's very knowledgeable. Um, I will say, he said, I believe, that that Christian, what was the guy's name? Uh, Christian uh, Young. Young, yeah. He's got him listed. Well, I saw one clip that they have here listed at 6'3". I know he said he was 6'1", so I'm interested to see what the difference is. Yeah. And that just depends day. on what day of the week it was, right? It's so <laughs> weird how they can fluctuate like three or four inches. Like it's, yeah. it's like me coming off this uh this food poison, and my weight's already fluctuating. I promise yeah. you that. We're back in the saddle, Tim. Tonight we had steak tacos, we had a daddy soda, Mandy made Halloween cookies, bro. My stomach's hurt <laughs> for reasons tonight, but we're back in the saddle. I, I see you're not on a you're not on a snap count, huh? You're just going, oh, no, no, you're going right go. right in. Full participation, man. Full participation. I love it. <laughs> Appreciate everybody in the chat. I wish we could get everybody's questions to Paul, but unfortunately, we got that limited window of time, and and I've already sent him over some questions. I and I, it's so it sucks because I see the questions coming in the chat. And I'm like, that's way better than the question I had. I wish I could ask that. <laughs> so I need to start asking the listeners before we even schedule it. But uh, yeah, I like this right here. We were talking about the injury report, and Stephen Smith said, mm-hmm. "Send them all saltines, Blake. <laughs> now to fix them right up." Telling you, man, saltines saved my life, dude. Ain't no, no doubt about that. Emilio said, dude, the Halloween cookies. Come on, the cheaper the better, too, man. The cheapest ones in the grocery store always <laughs> taste the best, man. Oh, that's the trailer park Emmy. Anyway, let's do this, man. Um, I want to get your all's take. Jacob, you heard that whole interview. Tim, did you hear it too? Yep. Okay, cool. Let's just kind of get maybe one takeaway from each of you that Paul hit on there. Jacob, you go first, buddy, if you don't mind. Um, what stood out to you? Anything catch your eye? Because the thing that caught my eye was or my ear was kind of like, I think I'm getting a little too excited about, you know, what we heard as far as injury news yesterday. And we'll find out, like you said, tomorrow when the injury report drops. But um, immediately as he's talking, I'm going, are we going to see Jair Alexander and Devontae Adams a little bit Monday night? That that would be exciting, right? But what what stood out to you, Jacob? No, that's definitely something I'd be uh, interested to see. With me, it was how he mentioned Elton Jenkins um, and how he was obviously back to practice. I did read an article as well that said that he's going to be forced to be wearing a brace. And when he was asked about that, he said that he did have to do it when he was at Mississippi State, and that he doesn't like it, but he's done it before multiple times and he's not really worried about it. So um, that's encouraging. So I'm just wondering, with all that being said, I just it's it's such a Packers move to flirt with him. Oh, he's going to play, he's going to play, he's going to play, and then they're going to keep him out Monday just so they have that extended time. They roll into the bye week. To me, that's more logical what i think the packers will do but um it, it is nice to think like what if if he could come back re-solidify that left side of the line obviously we got walker in there but um and then he did also talk about uh, jenkins that is how he's been says that we're growing he's a very young guy very talented this is jenkins talking about walker he says we're growing talking making sure that the things i learned i'm giving that all to him he goes, you go to EB and you got to be able to talk to the game with them and see the game, all this kind of stuff. So it's cool that they're kind of taking Walker under his, under their wing kind of thing. So to me, that's more what stood out is that he's even has a possibility. The fact that Stokes um, is running around the same kind of logic, I think, applies to Stokes as well. But I just don't see them forcing him back for one Monday night game. I just yeah. don't see it. Um, but I, I was going to bring up what Paul said was the key to offense, but I have a feeling like the Tim wants to talk about defense in general. So I was going to talk about how Max Crosby is pretty much the only thing we have to stop, but I think we can talk about that, Tim. 
Yeah, and, and I think it's going to come down to setting the protection to Max. I really do. Like, that's what it's going to come down to. I don't think he moves around quite as much as Aiden does as far as pressure in the A-gap. I haven't looked at the Raiders' tape much. Um, but it's going to be something about sliding protection to make sure you got a chip there. But, yeah, go ahead, Tim. What stood out to you, man? Jacob, yeah, you read my mind, man. Of course I want to talk <laughs> about the defense. Um, and that's what stood out to me, you know, towards the end of the conversation there with Paul was, you know, he said what we've been saying which is at the end of the day, Joe Barry can scheme them up and put them in the right spot, but these players have got to execute better. It's, it's on everyone. We get obsessed with the blame game and the truth is it's on everyone and in different factors. So, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, the Raiders game, you know, containing, he said, try to contain Devonte Adams. I put LMAO in my notes <laughs> next to that. <laughs> yeah, good luck with it's that. Like, so it's like, basically, if we can keep Tay under 200 yards and, you know, <laughs> right around 14 catches, you know, you know, maybe a touchdown, hopefully only one. That's a pretty good game uh, um, on Devonte. Um, but yeah, you know, Paul said it. He said this had uh, the potential to be a bounce back game or, or some would say a, a get right game for this run defense. And, uh, you know, I'm with you, Clayton. It's a little scary because, you know, statistically, yeah, the Raiders are not running the ball very well. Um, so, you know, we should be able to handle the run on Monday night, but, uh, both hands, fingers, fingers are crossed guys that we, uh, actually do that. And, uh, as far as, um, you know, I'll speak a little bit, you know, to Max Crosby, just to jump on the other side of the ball real quick. I think you're right, Clayton. They don't, we're not going to see him, moving around as much as uh, we saw Aiden Hutchinson moving around on us. I think Crosby's definitely his biggest threat is from the edge. So yeah. we'll see uh, what goes on on that side. But um, yeah, great interview with Paul. Appreciate the insight. Wish we could have got a little more um, good news when it ca came to the injuries, <laughs> but I always uh, appreciate Paul bringing us back to uh, reality. Exactly. Exactly, man. Exactly. Uh, let's see here. All right. Um, one of the things I wanted to hit on here, Jacob, and I know you've got a few things as well I'm eager to hear. One of the stats that I put a lot of stock into as far as team statistics is points per play. And I'm not sure if you guys follow that much, but I think it really tells a lot. Now, all information is important information, and it, it does bother me when people try to take one specific statistic as if, hey, this is the most important, right? And then because it's going to argue their point, right? But – uh, points per play really to me narrows it down because people will say, well, who this is the leading scoring offense in the league. Well, that doesn't matter if they've got extra possessions, right? Or this this team gave up, you know, less points on defense. Well, well, maybe this they have a much better special teams setting them up for those type of possessions, right? So I like offensive, uh offensive and defensive points per play. Here's how we stand right now um, on offense. Green Bay is currently seventh in the National Football League in points per play. That really caught me off guard. I'll be honest with you. I was like, holy cow. So they're at .43. That's seventh. So they're behind. You got Miami in first place, <clears throat> Buffalo in second, San Francisco in third, Seattle in fourth, Denver in fifth, which we all know Denver is, uh, you know, they're, they're having plenty of opportunities to try to score points, and, and they're trying to chuck it down the field. So they're probably going to have a few more points per play with that. And then, of course, Dallas – and Green Bay, right? So that kind of caught me off guard. And when you look at it, too, from this perspective, in 2022, Green Bay was 0.35, okay? So we're 0.43 at this point right now. Granted, it's just a quarter of the way, a little less than a quarter of the way through the season. But in 2022, we're outperforming the offense from 2022. That was kind of exciting to me. But what, what do you think about that, Jacob? And do you feel like that's what you've seen on the field this year offensively? Because it almost feels like, you know, I don't want to say it feels like the offense has struggled, but when they struggle, it's really, really bad. But then we come out in the third quarter and we play lights out, right? Yeah, I think it's been confusing all the way around. That statistic plus a lot of the love statistics, specifically with this PFF grade, it's like the same thing. You see him and you're like, man, like half of that game was okay. A quarter of that game was awful and a quarter of that game was amazing. You know what I mean? So then the the, the numbers are so hit and miss in between there. And that's kind of the same thing. I didn't see it. it might have cut it off. Where are the Bears on that list? So I could... They were. They actually weren't as far as you would think they were. But I do remember. I can't scroll down now. Right. I want to say they were around twenty third or twenty fourth. Yeah. I mean, so I guess pretty low. 
but it sticks out is if you look at that top 15, I'd say that 10 of those 15 are what you would consider the more dominant teams in the NFL that have the biggest playoff potential. Um, so it's encouraging to be at the top of the, you know, top third of the league for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does kind of put a little bit of the ease or put a lot of the worries, I guess, maybe a little bit to bed of like, are we just a, like a statistical anomaly? Be kind of like almost like how the Vikings were last year, their 13 odd win team, but they, it was a lot of coin flips, a lot of luck that was involved in that. And this seems like it's a little bit more solidifying that maybe love and the offense like you said, they've been put in some weird positions. I know we've had certain uh, runbacks. We've had a lot of weird penalties, uh, a lot of kind of weird positional stuff like that that maybe could sway that number. So <clears throat> I'm I'm excited seeing that. It gives me a lot more confidence. And then, like I said, we could be three and one at this point going into a game where if we beat the Raiders, which I think we should, going into a bye. Can you imagine if we were four and one? And we'd- oh my God, we'd be insufferable. Are you kidding me? We'd be like, come on, yeah. another Hall of Fame quarterback here, Tim. You kidding me? Uh, what do you think about that offensive points per play, though, uh, Tim? Oh, I agree with Jacob, man. Being in that company uh, can't be understated. Um, I mean, obviously, this is just a metric that we're looking at here, right. um, but you know, numbers don't lie, and uh, we're already, you know, a quarter of the way through the season, we're seeing an improvement already. Um, I will say that I think a lot of it is probably due to kind of what you guys had just alluded to, which is, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of our offense on these kind of like, I don't want to call them chunk plays because they're not all chunk plays, but we get these like sporadic spurts of phenomenal offense in between this horrendous, what the hell's going on (laughs) out there offense. And so I think that's kind of where we see these numbers. I mean, I, I think the, you know, time will tell, but I think the Packers are going to improve uh, as the season goes on, and, which is what I hope for. We got an early bye. We're already dealing with injuries. Um, I'm with you, Jacob. Let's get this dub going into the bye week. Uh, get some rest because it's a grind fest on the way out. And, um, you know, seasons ebb and flow. You want to be that team that's getting hot and getting healthy going into, you know, week 15, 16, 17, trying to make that that playoff push. So uh, I'm excited to see this team grow as the season progresses for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Amelia on the chat said a lot of chunk flags we're getting. LOL. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you this, man, when I went back and, and, and did the chalk talk on, on Detroit game, nothing ticked me off more than the play where, and, and granted it was, I think it was still an interception, but when they tripped Devonte Wyatt and they didn't even call it. And right in front of the official. And the offensive line wasn't like he just a little subtle, like his, he looked like a swan or something, the way he was dressed. <laughs> like, how, how do you miss that call? And maybe it was one of those that the, the official had his hand on it, but it's picked off. Okay, let's just keep it put away. It could have been. I like to give He was beat, that. though, for sure. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. Devontae Wyatt totally roasted that guy, that's, and that's, that's, that's why you have to trip. That's what's so tough, man, about this defense, because you see him rush the passer, and it's like, holy cow. All yeah. the way across the board, they're so talented. But then when you get up against a run, it's like you just see them getting drove backwards. It's it's just it's important to be balanced. It really is, man. Hopefully they can they can get that together. Let's go to points per play on the defensive side of the ball. Okay, look at Dallas guys, 0.18. That is wild, absolutely Oof. wild. Um, so Dallas in first place. Uh, second is Baltimore. Third is San Francisco. Fourth is Kansas City. Fifth is Tampa Bay. Sixth is Buffalo. Seventh is Tennessee. Eighth is Cleveland. Not the Jets. Tenth, New Orleans. You got to go all the way down to 17th to find Green Bay. Now, I want I want to do this real quick. I didn't even look at this. So Dallas is first in defense, and then offense, they're sixth. You want to know why that's one of the hottest teams in the league, right? And look at San Francisco, too. Third in offense, third in defense. Boy, just a well-rounded team there. Um, so this is opponents' points per play, right? So it's a defensive metric. When you look at Green Bay and you see them 17th, you think, man, that's low. But look at it, 0.34 this time last year, 0.37. So they're playing a little bit better than they did last year um, for the overall year. And granted, this is just the first quarter of the season. But uh, what stands out to you there, Jacob? Um, do you kind of feel like that's how the defense has performed? Because I think that's that's pretty fair. I didn't see them anywhere near a top 10 defense yet. And I say yet because I think they will put it together by the end of the year if we don't run everybody out of town and we let this young team kind of settle in together. Um, I would, I would, I would have probably guessed around the 15 mark. So 17 is a little bit lower than I guess. But is, is that kind of feel like what you've seen this year? 
Yeah, I was actually just going to say that if I had to guess, it would have been around like the 15th or 16th. So seeing 17 makes it pretty. Yeah, I, it kind of solidifies again my thought process there. It is it is kind of interesting to see 16, 17, 18s, Detroit, Green Bay, Minnesota, um, just kind of all right there in that division with the same kind of, I don't want to say that their defenses are all kind of suspect, but I believe that it's definitely the reason that Minnesota's had so many struggles. I know it's why we probably lost a game or two, or and then, and then obviously uh, Detroit, the one, what was the one loss they had again? I can't remember off the top of my head, but they've, I've been more, I, I'm actually a little bit more shocked that Detroit's defense isn't a little bit higher because it seems like they've just yeah. been making more plays, but maybe that's just the recency bias that I got. But um, <laughs> I, smoking the battle on you right (laughs) yeah i'm not disappointed at all especially when like you said you compare and contrast to last year because i remember at this point in the season last year i wasn't freaking out pulling my hair out um i wasn't screaming fire barry i know i wasn't necessarily excited about his Mm -hmm. uh packers defense but i I feel like we're always going to be lacking a little bit in that area unless we start really coming out the gate strong but right now i'm content i'm not gonna we i do have some interesting facts we can talk about later if we have time yeah absolutely I can play devil's advocate as to that whole Barry situation again, but cool. Yeah. So Tim, here's the, like I said, the defensive uh, metric opponents points per play that, that kind of seem about right to you, Green Bay being 17th there. Uh, sure does. And uh, to your point about Dallas there up at the top, um, I think that speaks a lot to Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator. I think he's probably one of those examples um, in recent memory of a guy who had his struggles as a head coach, um, and is clearly better fit as a coordinator in this league. And uh, Dallas's defense is testament to that. Um, with that being said, Green Bay, to me, I look at the talent that we have, um, and there's no reason we can't produce at that level um, eventually, is, is what I would say. Um, yeah. I, I do see them, like the rest of this team, improving with time. Um, and it starts by being better against the run and doing the simple things like winning your matchups, refusing – refusing to be blocked. Um, you know, Paul spoke about this earlier, you know, that you, when we were blocked against Detroit, we were out of the play and, you know, the great players, uh, in the defenses of this league, they refuse to be blocked and they will get off of that block and get involved, um, get out there and hit something. Um, so I think, uh, technique and, um, you know, more reps for the younger players um, will will go hand in hand and hopefully improvements will come. But I think we're spot on with with what we're seeing right now, just due to the inconsistencies, uh, especially, you know, like we said, with the run defense. And, you know, all we got to do is try and hold guys to like, you know, less than three yards a carry would be would be a pretty good start to just kind of, you know, putting the effort in to, to slow that run game down. And uh, hopefully we'll see that Monday in Vegas. Yeah, definitely. Boz in the chat said, good D coordinator talking about Dallas. No digs. Parsons was hurt, was hurt the last game, still held to three points. And that's coming off a game, too, the, the week before, if I remember correctly, Boz. They ran right at Micah Parsons. The, the, the team adjusted, and they ran it right down Dallas's throat. Dallas lost, came back, rebounded. You know Bill Belichick the, of the Patriots, seen that game plan, said, all right, we're doing that. They adjusted perfect and came out of the gate and, and like I said, kept, kept the uh, Patriots out of the end zone the entire night. I want to hit this real quick. Jeffrey in the chat said, Jordan Love turned down a couple open looks last week. I love his demeanor, and the kid works his arse off. He is uh, is going to be a good one. We just need to be patient. And Emilio followed that up and said, yeah, Jeffrey, like I've been saying, they're on- – They've only had 200 to 250 snaps at live game speed together. With that said, I do want Jordan to take control and set his own protection now that we're a few in. I think it's going to be key, man. I really do. And and I don't know if they're going to pull the trigger on that, Emilio, but I think he's always – I don't think he even has happy feet. I just think that you you can't go hot on a pass on a passing play if you don't 100% 100% know where the protection is, right? right. Just, I'm going to drop back and everybody should be protect. I should be protected. Right. And, and again, we're not in that room. So there may be, you know, a little, a little check there between him and Myers, but it sure doesn't look like it from what I can see. So, um, all right, Jacob, let's hear what you got, brother. I know you had a few, uh, a few fun facts here. Let's hit it. Well, I don't know how fun they'll be, but we can, uh-oh, uh-oh, we can either, we you guys let me know what you want to do. We could either look over some, interesting stats and grades that maybe will sway people's opinions of what the defensive coaches have been able to do, or we could look at in the, the article where it talked about um, 
says four Packers offseason decisions that have already looked like a roaring success. It could be quick or as short as you want to be with all this too. So I'd like to hit that article because you know this time of year, one of the things that I like to do, I like to go back and look at my draft board and say, okay, which rookies are performing that I had graded really high and what moves did we make? Because you guys remember in the offseason, I'm just going to do a, a quick little refresh. In the offseason, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, listen, guys, we need us a center. <laughs> we need us a uh, an interior defensive lineman because I hate to say it, but I said at the time in the offseason – Kenny Clark doesn't look like it for that dominant interior defensive line. And, of course, we need a safety, right? Those are the three things that I was screaming. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I was high on the tight ends in the draft. But let's hear it, Jacob. What, what's the article say, man? All right. So, first of all, it's uh, an article from Fansided. Again, it's called Four Packers Offseason Decisions That Already Look Like a Roaring Success. It was authored by Freddie Boston. Freddie Boston. you know, Good old Freddie boy. Freddie B. Uh, number four, replacing Crosby with Anders Carlson. And then it just quickly has a little notes. Carlson is 14 of 14 total kicks. Long of 52. I think he's been good from another few over 45 to 50. And for uh, for something that we all – I sat here on this stream multiple times and said, this is crazy. <laughs> I don't know how we're going into this season with this dude with no backup, with no – and how many times did I try and calm you down, Jacob? Hey, was, how many times did people say this kicker is going to cost us at least one game? Right. I have, and that's one of my sneaking worries for this week because if you guys maybe didn't notice, uh, we're obviously going into Las Vegas to play the Raiders. And right now, the starting kicker of the Raiders is Daniel's older brother, or I'm sorry, Anders' older brother, Daniel Carlson. I'm wondering if this will have any sort of new nerves or weird uh, brotherly ego stuff that, you know, dynamic that is thrown in there. I know that I will, I, I have a little brother. I will always want to beat him in everything to this day. He'll <laughs> never beat me in anything. And he has that same kind of mentality. You know what I mean? So I wonder if there's that weird Kelsey brother dynamic going into a game like this, where it could mess him up, give him some jitters, give him the yips a little bit, but thought that was kind of a cool thing to think about. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, we can go on to number three if you guys are cool with that. Yeah, let's do it. This is one that Clayton basically already had. Uh, it says making significant changes to, to the interior defensive line. And it says basically the the moves from moving on from Dean Lowry and Jerron Reed and then making that uh, leap in the draft, even last year getting obviously Devontae Wyatt, but then re, re-solidifying it with Wooden and Brooks. And like we talked about, they've obviously struggled in certain aspects, especially the run uh, run game. but Wooden has one hit, one tackle for a loss with three pressures. Brooks already has two sacks. Wyatt has two and a half sacks. As far as the pass rush goes, they are up there, especially Wyatt, in the upper echelon as far as pass rushing D tackles in the league, which is pretty impressive and exciting to see the potential there. Yeah, definitely. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, Marbley in the chat said, we might – we might have to trade up if we want a a dominant interior defensive lineman. Yeah, you know – where we've been drafting, we're kind of just off the cusp of that top tier. Now, I, I think that we were within not the top, top tier, but the top current tier, I should say. There were a few options that we had as far as prospects where we drafted this past year in the first round um, where it was like, okay, yeah, we're right there. Now, when you talk about the year before, when you take Quay and you take Devontae Wyatt, obviously they had a high enough grade to justify staying put and taking those guys where they did. You couple those two picks together and climb up in the top three or the top five. It's a big swing, but it could be a big miss too, right? That's a lot of draft capital to trade and get up there and try to get someone dominant. But you see the Philadelphia Eagles, Tim, they're, you know, they have one of the best defensive lines every single year. And what do they do? They go right back to the well again. They took Jalen Carter, right? And, uh, and, and and a lot of people were on that pick too. They were because I think it was Drew Rosenhaus, Jalen Carter's agent, was like, "We're not interviewing with anybody outside of the top ten because we're not getting past Philly. They're going to draft us, right?" Um, so probably going to be hard to find yourself up there in that position unless you completely, uh, you know, have just a just a, a bomb out season, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you yeah. know, I think that's why you see a lot of these teams. Philly's a great example of where you see just like generational. Uh, you know, defensive play, like you're talking decades um, of just dominant uh, interior D line play because, you know, organizations are committed and, you know, it's one thing to commit. You have to stay committed. 
Um, I think with the Packers, we've had an emphasis these past few years on edge and uh, edge has improved for the most part. Um, but that interior D line is, I, I think still a work in progress, but um, you know, like Jacob just mentioned uh, uh, in this fan cited article, I mean, it's certainly one of the things that has improved. So, you know, thank God, uh, you know, all respect to Dean Lowry, but uh, glad we moved on. Yeah, no doubt. And same thing with Jaron Reed, which we knew that was going to be a rental. Did you um, see though, Jaron Reed right now is currently the number one ranked special teams player in the NFL. <laughs> is he really? <laughs> Got like a 91 grade or something. I was like, really? He's been on only like 13 I think, field goal snaps or something. So, yeah. Well, we got Dale and Levitt, so yeah. we're all good. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, do you want me to breeze? Chill, guys. Me? Thanks for tuning in. We're out here. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got, Jake? All right. So, number two, drafting Jaden Reed and my man Don Wicks. Uh, obviously, Jaden Reed was drafted in the second round, Wicks in the fifth. As of right now, Reed has 12 receptions, 203 yards, two touchdowns, averaging 16.9, uh, which highlights what Dead Fish just brought up there about how we're getting the ball down the field there pretty aggressively. Um, even guy like Tay Wicks has six receptions, 85 yards, one touchdown, three very long pass interference calls, um, and I believe a few that could even be over 20, but there was like three of them that were over 40, which is kind of fun. I mean, that's at, at some point, that's not just luck. It is them him breaking and having a good route, whether or not the ball's overthrown or underthrown, they're still, he's forcing the, the defense to grab. So that's great. Um, and then he also just randomly, I, I couldn't believe it, but Tay Wicks right now has the third most snaps at wide receiver. So if he would have, you know, put a, you know what, to my head and told me what the snap counts would be at the start of this year, what the yardage would be, oh, I would yeah. not have Christian Watson at the very bottom. You know what I mean? It's very jumbled, but it's kind of a testament, like the article says, we knew we had we we had backup issues and starting issues at wide receiver, so we just peppered that sucker again, and I'm really happy with what we did. Yeah, the thing that stood out to me about Tay Wicks was was just hearing Greg Cosell rave over him, and he and and I I, I can still hear him saying it. This kid just gets it. He gets it, and he was talking about the route running is definitely what he was talking about. And you watch Tay. There was a couple times on tape when he didn't get the ball where, you know, the play may have already kind of moved on from him, but they're still, you know, covering him. And he turns people completely around. I'm telling you, man, you you get a year or two under his belt, I swear I think he's going to be someone that's – he's just going to be one of those reliable number three, number four targets, kind of like a James Jones back in the day, right? Um, I think I think we're really going to end up – Honestly, like I'm, I'm the eternal homer, but I, he could be in my offense because think about it. Devontae, I remember we heard that Devontae had a lot of potential. But we're already hearing it took like two or three seasons before people really even thought Devontae could be worth anything because of how many drops he had. Right now, we're already hearing that Tay Wicks' footwork is so good that he's being compared to Devontae, but he's also doesn't really necessarily have the drop issues, doesn't have the sort of mental errors, and he's getting way more experience right off the bat. So I just think it's it's exciting for yeah, sure. It is, man. I, mean, I remember during camp we were back and forth between him and Malik Heath when right. we were looking looking at the depth chart and kind of you know, who was going to come up. And I, and I still think Malik Heath is on the radar. He's just probably, you know, um, not quite as far along in his uh, development as uh, Don Wicks. Uh, are we going with Tay or are we going with Don, Jacob? I, I'm, I go in and out, man. That's how I'm ever feeling. <laughs> Don Juan Wicks. <laughs> oh man. But uh, I see the, I see the comparisons to, uh, to Devonte Adams, of course. Um, but that's a great point, uh, Clayton. Like we we waited, we were cursing our televisions uh, during Devonte's first few years uh, yeah. in Green Bay, and um, it reminds us all that we have to be patient with rookies, um, even with guys like Jaden Reed who look like studs right out of the gate, and um, you know Tay Wicks as well. So uh, time will tell. But again, he's another one of those like I love seeing him get these reps, and pretty soon. You're going to see him running free, and he is going to get those targets. And, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting, man. We're, we're going to be a really, really deep receiving core in the next few years. I really, I really truly believe that. Yeah, I can see that too. And especially if Tucker Craft comes on at the tight end position behind Luke Musgrave, I, I still, man, I, I, there's, there's been multiple opportunities where, where Jordan has missed Luke. Um, even, you know, I don't know if you guys seen on the chalk talk against the Lions, there was a couple of times they had him in a leak. And if Jordan just – if he makes it to that progression and pops over to the league, Musgrave in space, um, that dude could very well be one of the top ten tight ends as far as statistics if things go just a little bit different early in the season for sure. Um, 
Milio also in the chat said we are 28th NFL team opponent plays per game at approximately 70 per game so far this year. That's rough number. One is Buffalo at approximately 50. And then he also said, Emilio said, we are 27 in offense NFL teams plays per game at 57.8, where top three are at 70 per game. And that is that is a huge differential, huge differential. Man. Um, and, it, and it makes all the difference in the world. It really does. Um, Jacob, what else you got, man? You, did you have something else you wanted to hit on too? Am I thinking right? Well, this is just the last uh, number four or number one, however you want to look at it for the article of the top four reasons that we are top four offseason decisions that are already looks like a roaring success. And it goes into line with what you were just talking about, Clayton. It's replacing Tanyan and I'll add in Mercedes Lewis with Luke Musgrave. Um, just right off the bat, if you want to compare apples to apples, Tanyan at this point in the season, he's got two receptions for 18 yards, guys, and he's on that Bears team with Mercedes Lewis just drowning to the bottom of the ocean like there is a time. <laughs> and got Luke Musgrave, as Clayton talked about, and they mentioned it in the article, how he should have probably another 80 yards receiving and probably two or three more touchdowns um, at least. So if you put that into perspective, he still at this moment has 12 receptions, 125 yards, and this is what's crazy, guys. I could not believe this stat. At this point, he is on pay, or at, from week one to week four. So up until this point, he is the fifth most receptions for a rookie tight end up to this point in the season, like I said, in the last 10 years. He's on wow. pace to break Evan Ingram's record. If he can stay healthy, maybe get a few of those luckier passes coming his way. He's going to be, uh, if he really steps it up, he could be on pace to beat that Kyle Pitts record. And um, that's, like I said, with him stumbling and bumbling all around, with him not looking efficient, with him missing wide open, I mean, trick plays where he can walk backwards into the end zone if it's just a slightly better ball. And when you look at uh, his fantasy football stats, which I know doesn't equate to anything real, but like you talked about, he's already right now, I believe he's like ranked 12th or 13th, depending on if it's a standard or a PPR league. I told you guys that he should be your last pick of the draft. Mm -hmm. He's a steal right now. That is one of the best values that you could have taken in the draft right now. So I feel pretty good about that all around. No, did you, you, you pounded that all off season, man. I remember you talking about it. Good stuff, dude. Good stuff. What's so exciting is like, no one was expecting this team to make the playoffs, right? Like we, you know, come in Vegas had them at like seven and a half, whatever it was, seven and a half wins. Everyone had them predicted to finish dead last in the North. Right now it's looking like we're on pace to finish realistically second in the division, but anything can happen. It, it, listen, you the, the coaching staffs break the season down into quarters for a reason. These are where adjustments are taking place. The self-scouting right now in those buildings at 1265 Lombardi and across the rest of the league, they are working around the clock to go, how can we be less predictable? How can we change things up? How can we scout our opponent better? What are they tipping, you know, what are they tipping their hand to? And just to try to get a little bit of an advantage. So close to being three and one, right? And I and I know that it, you know, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, I got you. But if we could somehow go three and one in this next quarter, right? And now you've got you kind of hold your own fate, right? You you've got you've got your own destiny in your hands. To think that we're going to be competing for a playoff berth with all these things that have gone wrong already, and none of us expected. I think some of us some of us wished for it. I guess you could say expected it. I think that's fair. There were some people going, no, I think this is a playoff team. Um, I, you heard me. I said six to ten wins, right? And then I narrowed it down to eight to ten, and I'm still kind of in that eight to ten category right now. Um, but to think that this team's growing and all of the statistics you just read off, all of the upside, whether it's Luke Musgrave, the Jaden Reed hit, I think that I think we all feel good that that's a hit, right? Rashawn Gary coming back healthier than ever. Oh, by the way, when we wrap up here, go to Twitter. And look at the video he tweeted out. I saw that. Bro, I teared up so hard, man. Between that and the Deion Sanders, Michael Irvin video, I'm a mess. I was just like, man, they all in the got me all in the fields tonight. But that that video with Dear Mama, I want to play it on here, but it it plays Dear Mama by Tupac. And it's copyright it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was perfect, man. Cause I that that song like means a lot to me because I was a big mama's mm -hmm. boy. Um, you guys know I lost my mama to an overdose a couple years ago. But uh when uh when Thomas Austin, one of the listeners of Packernet After Dark and Packernet in general, he messaged me the other day and said, Clayton, man, I need your top 10, not even necessarily a top 10 playlist. He said, he said a top 10 playlist, right? What's your songs? 
I bet he was thinking this dude's a psychopath because I had everything. I had country. I mean, I had I had Kenny Chesney next to Tupac. I had it all, bro. It was all covered. But Dear Mama was one of them in there. And uh, yeah, when when Rashawn Gary posted it, I was like, God, I wish I could share that on the show. But we will get hit with a copyright from the grave. I'm just telling you right now, bro. That would hit so hard. Or is it from the grave? Yes. The corner. <laughs> By the way, did you guys see the arrest? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Jake is said, I don't know. Do I need to throw up the conspiracy music here, Jake? <laughs> might need to. I don't know. I, I don't yeah. So anyway, we won't get into that. It's a Packers podcast. Hey, but, but you know what? I got something back on topic then if we want to stay there. You just said three and one in the next quarter, right? So, yeah. so Vegas, Denver, Minnesota, and the L.A. Rams. Now, now yeah. you're gonna tell me we can't go three and one down this stretch. I think we go four and zero oh if we if we awesome. get it get it together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a bye week uh, coming up after after Monday night football. You know, hopefully, you know we had this little mini bye coming off the Thursday uh, game, so hopefully we can stay healthy in Vegas. Knock on wood, and then uh, you know come back out and you know we've got to win. We got to beat Minnesota. We can we cannot drop another divisional game for sure. But mm-hmm. I mean, Denver, that's a win. Minnesota should be a win. And I don't think honestly, there's a reason we don't we we shouldn't think we can beat the the Rams right now too. So yeah, How do three you and one is possible. You agree with that, Jacob? Want three and one in the next four games? Yeah, I do. And then what's even better if you look at the next four games, I think we could easily go two and two. And then the yeah. last last five, I think we could. I win out easily. I think we could either win out or win four or five, or worst case three or five, and then we're right there. We're Bro. we're a twelve win team. I mean, that's that's insane. The youngest team in the NFL. What else could we ask for with the opportunity to go into the last month of the season playing for something, playing yeah. for a playoff berth? That's so exciting, and yeah. and hopefully by that time coming to the complete realization that hey, Jordan loves the guy, right? That's that's what we're hoping for, right? Um, we just want him to to prove it on the field and everything. I'm trying to figure out what I was trying to read back here. United Bates, thank you for the super chat. He said, Myers, 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 Myers at Emilio. I'm not sure what he's referring to. Can you help me out with that, Jacob? You usually go. Emilio yeah, with- has to drink every time somebody says Josh Myers. So. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> well, you scroll hey, down, Emilio Darn it. I'm not going to be responsible for that. No, that alcohol <laughs> Bates thing. just got, got Emilio hammered yeah. <laughs> right there with one super chat. <laughs> I love it. Well, United Bates, uh, five dollars isn't isn't going to get Emilio out of the clink if he gets out of control tonight. All right, so we're going to need a little bit more than that. But with that being said, uh, I think we're wrapping up here as Emilio goes on his bender. But appreciate everybody in the chat, man. You guys have been awesome tonight. Great comments, great great conversation. Um, we're at the one hour mark. Jacob, you got anything else you want to hit on? Any parting thoughts or anything else you want to cover real quick before we yeah. go? I, I honestly could go on for a freaking another hour. So tomorrow I'll probably bring some of this stuff. And we can go over some of that. Uh, it's it's stuff that won't age. We shouldn't have any problem aging a few days here. I will say, though, we talked about on our side how the key to the game, Paul Brittle mentioned it, is stopping Max Crosby. He's been a freak of nature, but he's kind of their only freak almost in general other than Vontae Adams on that team. You could say the same thing if you reverse the kind of thought process there. Their starting right tackle was horrible last week. Gave up six sacks, I believe, to uh, Khalil Mack. I don't know if it was him specifically, but I know that he gave up an insane amount of pressures. The dude has like a 47.5 pass blocking grade and like a 50-odd running blocker, uh, run blocking grade. So I just look for the fact that if they can't shut down Rashawn, I think they're in much more trouble than us having Zach Tom going against Crosby. And Crosby is amazing. I think he's top five in the league right now as far as PFF is concerned. But uh, to me, the... the more than them having to take notice or than we having to take notice of Crosby, I think that they need to take notice of Gary. So yeah, that's my theory. Definitely. And you know, the other thing too, one, another school of thought here, I don't know what their left tackle looks like, Jacob, and you may have mentioned it there, but imagine moving Rashawn around to the left tackle spot, right. To rush the left tackle since he probably would dominate an even better offensive lineman at the left tackle position. And now Preston Smith over top of, that horrible right tackle or rotating in a little Lucas Van Ness, 
you might be able to dominate both edges doing it that way, you know, as opposed to saying, let's put our best pass rusher on one of their worst offensive linemen. Let's, you know, be a little bit better against the left tackle and still be better against the right tackle too. Now you're applying pressure from two spots. It's just a lot of, a lot of gamesmanship that goes on there for sure. Uh, Dead fish in the chat said so close to being one and three, uh, two. I think he meant three and one. Um, so I'll take two. And, oh no, I see what you're saying. You're and you're right. You're right about that. That's very fair, Dead fish. Uh, so close to being one and three, two. So I'll take two and two. Future opponent records twenty and thirty-two. So we got games we could win coming up. Absolutely, completely agree with that. And then Jeffrey in the chat says, "Love the show. Love the people in the chat. Always a great time. Thank you." The reason the chat. And this show is so awesome is because of all of you guys, man, just watching you guys interact and uh, the conversations you guys start. Um, just love how everybody respects each other too, man. That's what this is all about. Tim, what do you got? Parting thoughts, buddy. Uh, just real quick, um, talking a little bit about uh, Paul's comments earlier when we were talking about Christian Young and he was speaking about young players uh, needing to be good at one thing first and then building that versatility. Um, I think to your point, Clayton, as far as moving these guys around on the edge, I, I would love to see Rashawn and Preston Smith uh, jumbled around. Um, but, but I think LVN is getting to that point where, you know, maybe it's time, like you said, yeah. it's, it might be time to let him go ahead and and breathe down that uh, offensive line's neck a little bit, kind of like Aiden Hutchinson did to us um, last week. So um, looking forward to the game, guys. Looking forward to being back with you guys tomorrow night. and. Uh, continuing to talk ball yeah absolutely absolutely million in the chat said thank you jeffrey for not mentioning the man of the hour i'm gonna be tossed <laughs> and that man of the oh, hour is... <laughs> say it together josh myers josh so, myers hey we appreciate everybody in the chat we'll be back tomorrow same bat time same bat channel we'll have us an injury report united bait you do it to me every time every time <laughs> yeah, super from United Bates. <laughs> on, a more serious, hey. on a more serious notes. Just got to take your eye off the ball 2.0 in the mail today. Ready to crack it open. Go, Pat, go. Man, I, I, I'm telling you, dude, seeing you seeing you guys comment about reading that book, it's just it, – it'll, it'll make you fall in love with the sport all over again. It's so cool, man. So cool. And it will it will make just things pop on the screen to you. It is wild. And you, and you guys are going to get deep into that book, and you're going to go, Clayton screwed that up. Clayton was wrong. I guarantee it's going to happen, man. So I might need to go back and get a refresher myself. But thank you so much for the Super Chat, United Bates, both of them tonight, man. We really, really appreciate it. So Cheesehead Murph, appreciate you, everybody. You guys are awesome. We're out of here. We'll be back tomorrow, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll have a new injury report to cover. Jacob's got some more content to cover, too. It'll be a good time. Tim, you're going to be able to join us tomorrow, right? Absolutely. All right. We'll be back then. Um, like I said, thanks everybody in the chat. Thank you, uh, United Bates, for the super chat. We really appreciate it. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go, Pat, go. The power sweep. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Pull back and get him. Take the first man outside the offense. Exactly. No one shows. Go right by them and feel this side. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. So look at this play. We'll be trying to get a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley.